Hi everyone, this is Peter Levin, and you're listening to another episode of In Good Hands, a show about the companies and founders solving our climate crisis. Today, I interview Sandra Noonan, head of sustainability at Just Salad. Now, most people know Just Salad as the national salad chain that has over 30 stores across the U.S. and around the world. But Just Salad is more than just a national salad chain. They are pioneering what it means to be a sustainable brand in an industry that often struggles in doing this. And in the episode, Sandra and I will discuss what the sustainability portfolio looks like at a national restaurant chain like Just Salad, the pioneering announcement around carbon labeling, and what it means to label a menu's carbon footprint, the future of carbon labeling across many industries, from fashion to grocery, how a sustainable restaurant chain like Just Salad is navigating COVID without compromising their values, and the one big idea that Sandra wants to see in the world. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy our conversation with Sandra Noonan, Head of Sustainability at Just Salad. Sandra, welcome to the show. Hi, Peter. Thank you. So for the listeners, Sandra and I have been colleagues, friends from afar for a little while now, ever since I first spoke with Nick, who is the founder and CEO of Just Salad. So what's really unique about Sandra and her work at Just Salad is in in many ways, she has helped pioneer the notion of sustainability and the many different ways it manifests in restaurants and specifically in restaurants that are national in nature, that have multiple different locations. So Sandra, what I'd love to hear is before your time at Just Salad, what were you up to? And then help us connect the dots. Like, What was the eureka moment about sustainability and make this the focal point of your work? So prior to Just Salad, I worked at, at big companies in various functions, including marketing and corporate sustainability. So I was working, for example, at Morgan Stanley for many years and helped to uh, launch something called the Institute for Sustainable Investing. And in that role, I really started thinking about climate change seriously for the first time in my adult life. And when I was working on projects that were about allocating capital to sustainable investing, to portfolios that had the triple bottom line of economic, social, and environmental. Fast forward to 2019, and I'm working at a financial services company. And on the side, the only thing I can think about is the plastic pollution problem. I read a New Yorker article about Boyan Slot. He's the um, founder of Ocean Cleanup. And that New Yorker article changed my life. I was so disgusted and distressed by this account of plastic pollution entering our oceans. I had been, as a child of the 90s, I had been bred to believe in the power of recycling and to have faith in our recycling infrastructure. And when I realized that that model was broken, I embarked on this very, very deep journey to live a zero waste lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And so that personal passion led to 
eventually joining the Just Salad team. Wow. I want to press on the Eureka moment there. And it's something that I've been trying to come to grips with is, in your opinion, what do you think is the primary cause of productive perspective change around climate enough that it changes the way that people want to interact with the world in their day to day? I think personal storytelling is a super important part of the climate change solution equation. So what I mean by that is just hearing how people have those eureka moments is very important in in fixing this problem globally. I think it's dependent on the individual and you have to find your thing to be emotional about. It's, it's, It's such a complex problem that you can't grasp it all. So the part that appeals, not appeals to you, but resonates with you is the part you should hold on to. That take resonates with me as well. And it's one of the reasons why I'm so excited to explore one of the more, I I think, industry-leading and pioneering announcements that you and the team at Just Salad recently made. But the point here is that I think a lot of people have trouble internalizing the state of affairs at large and then... uh, manifesting that realization or that feeling into long-lasting behavior change because most of the time, the effects of climate are an afterthought. You do some behavior and it's really hard to understand the ripple effects of that decision. So there's a number of ways that I think companies, large and small, are starting to change the way that they source materials, how they think about moving goods from point A to point B, but also at that customer touch point, what information can brands large and small give customers so that they can make empowered decisions in the aisle, in retail stores, and in restaurants? And I think this is a good segue to your most recent announcement around carbon labeling. So for, for the listeners here, Sandra, what is carbon labeling at large? So carbon labeling is the practice of tallying the carbon emissions associated with a product, such as food in our case, and displaying that figure on the product label. So the the thesis that we've embraced is that labeling is going to be part of our sustainability platform and our answer to climate change. And we are inspired by the nutrition label. So the nutrition facts label that you see on virtually any food product you buy was introduced in 1994, formalized, right? And today, personally, I can't imagine buying a food item and not kind of glancing, at least at the nutrition facts. It's it's part of how we purchase and eat food. We look in, and if you walk into a just salad store, if you walk into any large chain, you're going to see the calorie labels posted on the menu by law in New York City, at least. And I have come to believe, and other food companies too, that we now, it is long overdue the time to start expanding the way we think about Uh, labeling our food and how we think about food generally. 
And so the carbon label would display, in just salad's case, the carbon emissions associated with the production of each ingredient in your salad. So what were the emissions associated with producing the yogurt dressing? What were the emissions associated with producing the Beyond Beef meatballs, the kale, so so on and so forth? And this is a first step in recognizing and helping our guests recognize that they have enormous power to alter the course of global warming and to minimize its impacts. And that's the tragedy that we don't understand or or we don't talk about the fact that 26% of global carbon emissions come from the food system. And as consumers, we wield the power to make that number go up or go down, and it has to go down. So in a nutshell, that's what we're doing. Sandra, this is, for the listeners here, it may not feel like a trajectory changing announcement, but for someone like Just Salad with stores around the nation, actually around the world, to, to do this and make this a default feature of the menu, which is where people start their decision-making process, is nothing short of very meaningful. And a good analogy here, so Sandra, you talk about when you're grocery shopping, you look at the nutrition label. And I think all of us are are similar in that. We, we do that as well. We look at the back and the history of the nutrition label is actually quite interesting because if you look at what parts of that nutrition label have become larger, so prioritized or smaller, deprioritized over time, mm-hmm. it's actually quite interesting because it reflects lobbying efforts. It reflects um, mm. uh, 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 public interest. The calorie count, for example, this thing is you look at its version one and how it looks, how it's represented today. It's now this like massive, like prominently featured thing. Mm-hmm. And the implicit, the implicit consequence of that is that people look at that first. We inherit that as the most important factor that we should consider. And a lot of decision-making starts and ends there. Mm-hmm. So I can imagine, and I'd love to hear your take here, but, do you see a future where customers are now looking at menus in restaurants and in grocery stores and are making their decision primarily based on climate impact? That is the future I see I, with some modification to, to the way you describe it. I don't necessarily think it is realistic to expect people to make decisions about their menu choice based solely on climate. I would love to see that happen because I think that your climate-friendly choice is also your healthiest choice. And not only do I think that, data supports that. And furthermore, that means you're eating plant-based and plant-based eating is delicious and sustainable. So yeah, I w- <laughs> I'm probably a part of a minority that that does that now. But the future I do see, Peter, that that is not unreasonable to um, expect is a future where you understand your daily carbon footprint allowance the same way that you understand just about how many calories are you're good to eat in a day. So putting you on the spot, 
how many calories a day do you on average think you should be eating? For me, my guess is somewhere between two to 3,000, maybe, right? Like 2,500, 3,000? Yeah. yeah. So, okay. so you had an answer to that. It didn't sound like you were struggling to, to estimate your daily no. caloric allowance. And you know that based on probably how much you exercise, how whatever, right? Mm-hmm. You, you know yourself as an eater. Okay. How many, what, what is your estimate for your daily carbon emissions allowance? in your diet. I have no idea. No idea. No one has no idea. No one has any idea. So the future I'd like to see and that we're seeing already take hold in certain countries in Europe is one where you do have an answer to that. And the answer we have found in our research is fascinating. So the average daily carbon emissions of the U.S. diet on average is 4.7 kilograms of CO2 equivalent. So the average US diet is associated on a daily basis with that level of carbon emissions. The daily carbon allowance we would need to be living and eating within in order to bring uh, food-related climate emissions to within sustainable levels is 2.5 kilograms of CO2 equivalent. So we're at 4.7 on average in the U.S. in our daily diets. We need to get to 2.5 to reach our our Paris Agreement targets. And no one knows that. So can we as a company, in labeling our menu items, start that conversation and start propagating that knowledge? This is so interesting, Sandra, because if you think about how to execute against that vision successfully requires pretty widespread buy-in from restaurants and merchants. If we look at just the restaurant layer of food in general, obviously there's a lot of other parts of the stack with grocery, et cetera. But if we look at restaurants... I wonder, to play devil's advocate, is is the business's economic interest at odds with carbon labeling? In other words, if I'm a customer and I'm looking at a label and I can see that the, the item that might gross more dollars has a higher footprint, and as such, I might feel maybe not shamed, but I feel like I need to take responsibility in the decision I'm about to make. So I say, you know what? Instead of option one, the most profitable item, I'm going to choose option two, which has a lower carbon footprint. Do, Do you see economics and carbon labeling butting heads here? Is there a way that they work in conjunction with each other? In looking at our own menu and carbon labeling it, And by the way, we will publish these carbon labels in September for Climate Week. So right now, a customer can't walk in and see them. But what customers will see is that items containing chicken are generally higher in CO2 emissions. So we'll have a higher carbon label uh, number than items that don't have chicken, for example. Same with cheese, right? What do we expect people to do with that information? Are you going to stop purchasing your favorite salad with chicken? And are we are we telling you that you should? No. 
what we have to guide each other and our guests towards is a, a, a sustainable is eating sustainably, but not restricting their choices. And you can do that. So there are studies that show that have said if you reduce your meat consumption by a certain amount um, every week, emissions would fall drastically. Food-related emissions would fall drastically. So I think what we have struggled with is how to frame this for our guests in a way that they feel um, empowered and not restricted. Mm -hmm. And how does that translate to the economics? My hope is that, and my expectation is that it will increase customer loyalty and brand affinity. Mm -hmm. I think I agree with you. I think something that I've learned or my last few ventures is that radical transparency and actually giving your customers information so that they can make empowered decisions is much better off. You build a much tighter rapport, you build trust, um, much better than trying to cloak or deprioritize these core pieces of information in footnotes and disclaimers, right? It's dishonest. It's not the way that you build a multi-year relationship with a person. It's not how you do it with your friends, right? Like you wouldn't say, oh, by the way, you know, if you eat that, it's going to hurt you or it's going to hurt these. No, like you're up front and you give people the information so that they can make intelligent, well-informed decisions. I, I wonder if we zoom out for a second and we look at this notion of carbon labeling, are there any instances or applications outside of food that you've seen deployed in a really interesting way or more broadly like what are you hearing either in food in general or other industry with your counterparts heads of sustainability other leaders are they thinking about this thing how is carbon labeling being applied in these other industries today or what are you hearing that's coming down the pike We're seeing the age of carbon transparency arriving at our doorsteps, which is exciting. And the examples are few, but increasing. One inspiration for us has been the shoe brand Allbirds. They started carbon labeling their products, I think it was earlier this year, but regardless, you can go on their website and read about how they're CO2 labeling. Very similar, very analogous to what we're doing at Just Salad with our food. We've also seen another example is corn, a British maker of plant-based meat alternative. They are carbon labeling the items they sell in the grocery aisle. So it's exciting to see this 360 picture emerging of carbon transparency across your lifestyle and your purchasing choices. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what I think about and what my team of sustainability fellows who are interning at Giselle this summer are excited about are a future where not only your daily dietary carbon footprint allowance, but you also know your lifestyle carbon footprint allowance. Mm-hmm. And there's no reason we shouldn't know that. <laughs> I'd like to know it. I'd like to know if I am operating on a daily basis within planetary boundaries. And that's what this is getting at. 
Interesting. Have you seen any uh, ambitious or successful takes on on that vision? I think I saw a company out of Canada that has a credit card tied to carbon footprinting. I know there's Project Ren that has some type of mobile app that is attempting to do this. Have you seen any interesting or compelling takes on trying to map out your daily like total lifestyle carbon allowance? I've seen, you know, I've seen, yes, calculators, Repurpose Global is a great brand. They they basically do plastic offsets for companies, much like carbon offsets. And they have on their website, they have a, a, a carbon footprint calculator for that approximates what you're emitting or what your your lifestyle, what emissions your lifestyle is associated with on a daily basis. So yes, little drips and drabs of that are starting to emerge. But I think, Peter, we need to embrace behavioral innovation, culture, culture hacking, gamification, technology, every tool at our disposal to make this exciting. For the consumer. So, you know, today, for example, if I'm trying to lose a few pounds, I might download a carbon <laughs> calorie counting app, right? <laughs> There's uh, my fitness pal, for example, LifeSum. These are apps that will track your calories and it's gamification, right? Like you get a little thumbs up or whatever if you eat well on a certain, on a given day. I think that the same types of the same industry has to emerge around carbon labeling to gamify it and to engage people in it in a fun and and meaningful way. Interesting. I love that hypothesis. Um, And I loved your framing of behavior or culture hacking. I think what tends to fly under the radar or is kind of grossly underappreciated is when product enthusiasts or inventors make decisions around the default. As in, when you turn on an application or you buy something, the configurations are set to X because they believe that that behavior is what's best for mm. the world. So in under the umbrella of sustainability, you look at what the third-party food delivery services have done. And you guys also did at Just Salad, which is when you're about to check out, you have to opt in to getting plastic utensils, mm-hmm. right? right? And just by shutting that off by default was a really effective default decision. And they even put a little green background behind it to tie it in to this feeling of planet and that this decision is inherently tied in with plastic pollution and things of that sort. So I, I love, love, love your framing of, of behavior hacking and culture hacking. Before we, before we move on to some questions about yourself, I want to – I think it would be remiss without exploring – 2020 today, right? 2020 is I mean, what a year. And if you, if you look at the effects of, of COVID across all major industries, food, restaurants specifically have taken it worse than arguably than any other industry. So what I'd love to hear is what has just out and the team done to navigate these times and you can talk about grocery. I know that was a 
awesome initiative that you launched, but what have you guys done to stay afloat, operate, thrive amidst this environment? And what does the next six to eight months look like for you? It's been a a very challenging um, year. And when COVID emerged, our focus shifted completely to health and safety. So a lot of my time and that of the teams has been focused on developing what we consider to be best-in-class operating protocols for our guests to feel safe now and for the future. And what is it? And what does that mean? Does it look how different does that look from pre-COVID? And so that's been front and center. And when sustainability enters that equation, it's certainly an opportunity and it's certainly challenging. So we continue to believe that reuse is the future, that the circular economy is the the economic model of the future that will ensure planetary or at least support planetary health. And so simple things like procuring face masks for our teammates, we did not procure disposable face masks that are thrown out. We worked with Kenneth Cole, the fashion brand, to develop reusable organic cotton face masks. And that is, you know, it's about maintaining what we call brand alignment, even in these drastic circumstances. And to me, that's been challenging and it's been something I didn't expect to have to do. And so it's been the ultimate test of our values. And I'm happy to say that our values remain intact. So in the next six to eight months, you know, we're reopening stores as we speak, but they look different. And we are trying to pioneer convenient sustainability, which is, you know, this term that we really believe in at a time when things don't feel as convenient anymore. So there's a lot, but the future is bright. I think we're past the worst. I hope so too. And even, you know, for, for some of the founders that are listening to, to this podcast, it even shows that despite a crisis of this nature, that you can still start from sustainability first principles, right? Because mm-hmm. really what you've done is you look at these disposable masks, they're really not comfortable, right? I mean, uh, single use aside, they aren't premium quality. They're not really enjoyable to wear. So when you think about how do you support your team? Well, you give them something that is comfortable to wear. And the added benefit is that they're reusable, right? Mm-hmm. So it, the, the point, the greater takeaway here is that there are ways to stay true to this value system without compromising convenience, quality, price, et cetera. And you know what? I think consumers expect it. There's evidence that consumers are more concerned about planetary health now than before COVID. So it remains a business imperative. Just because it's harder to do doesn't mean we stop doing it. (laughs) Sandra, before we part ways, I, I love ending with something that is actually totally off topic. 
right? <laughs> it doesn't have to do with sustainability necessarily or just salad, um, but about your idea graveyard, right? These are, it's a term that I've dubbed of uh, a list of ideas that you may muddle over, you add to your notes app, you think there it's this billion dollar idea or this great thing that needs to happen, but for whatever reason, it just ends up rotting away in your idea graveyard. You don't have time to work on it. You don't have maybe the domain expertise to take it on or whatever the reason is. So my question for you is, one of these ideas? That's a great question. I, you know, one idea I would love to develop is, I'm going to go back to car, the carbon labeling discussion. I would love, again, to have um, an app that allows me to track my daily dietary CO2 emissions. And I've approached a few apps that um, have this, or do this for calories, and just not enough time to focus on it and scale that right now. But that's one thing that's been really top of mind. And and that's about it because there's not enough time to really do anything <laughs> right now. <laughs> I love it. And Sandra, before we part ways, I'd love to roll the red carpet. Are there any final call to actions, announcements, anything you'd like to leave with our listeners? The floor is yours. Oh, thank you. Well, Climate Week 2020 is going to be an important um, week, not only for just salad, but for anyone who cares about planetary health. And that's when we will um, launch our climate labeling initiative. So if anyone's interested in that, I would stay tuned up for um, that milestone date. And, you know, in the meantime, I think to anyone interested in studying behavior change, we have been um, looking to partner with academic researchers on studying the impacts of what we're doing. And I think that's really important, too. So um, kind of a I guess that's kind of a a PSA. If um, if you're interested in partnering with us on that, reach out. (laughs) I love it. And and what's the best way to, to follow what you're up to and reach out to you? Twitter, Sandra Noonan, just my name, um, is, is a great place to start. Sounds good. Sandra, you're the best. Thanks for coming on the show. <laughs> Thanks, Peter. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider subscribing and writing us a review. Also, if you have any recommendations about a founder or a company that you'd like to see on the show, let us know. Message us on social at In Good Hands. Also, Special shout out to Dan Mahoney, who produced this week's episode, and Eddie Knuckles, our music director. I'm your host, Peter Levin. You can find me on Instagram or Twitter at Peter A. Levin. And that's it. Looking forward to bringing you another new episode next Tuesday.